Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Gretchen, I've been waiting for you to come. I have a pressing question about the four tendencies. Ooh. (laughs) She has a rebel in her life. Oh, I can't wait to hear all about it. (laughs) Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 17 years, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain, also a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles, and here with us is Liz's sister, Gretchen. Hey, that's me, Gretchen (laughs) Ribbon, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, human nature, and the four tendencies. Usually I am in New York City, but today I am in the studio, in Studio City, with the Happier in Hollywood team. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. And for anyone who doesn't know, Gretchen and I co-host the podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. But on this podcast, Sarah and I talk about what it's like to be writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in L.A. And Gretchen is going to be our co-host today. Yes, it's so fun to be dropping in. (laughs) (laughs) So, Gretchen, your new book is out, The Four Tendencies. Um, I've been reading it. I'm deep in it. I'm completely (laughs) uh, engrossed. Um, So can you tell us, like, what's it like when your book comes out? It's huge. It is huge. It's interesting because as the writer, you know, you've been working on it for so long. And then there's the day, like I happened to be in Penn Station on the actual day that it came out. And I, of course, I walked to see if it was on the shelves. And there it was. And it's sort of this strange feeling to see it out in the world at last. It's like it's got its independent life. It's gone out to seek its audience. (laughs) Um, So it's really, really thrilling. And then you start, people start responding to it. And so it is very, very exciting when a book actually hits the shelves. It's funny when you said that. I thought it's sort of like sending your baby off to college. (laughs) (laughs) Which you just did. Which I just did. Yes. I have a a lot of, like, sending a lot of things out into the world. Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah. So it's really, really fun. But today we're going to talk about creativity, specifically how to know when an idea is a good idea. We're also going to debate the merits of schlubby gyms versus fancy gyms, which is better. And then because we have Gretchen here, we're going to answer a couple four tendencies related listener questions. (laughs) And a question from Sarah herself. She has a question for you. Yay. So, okay, everyone, let's get started with from the treadmill desk of where we talk about what's pressing in our work psyches this week. And this week, it's ideas. How do you know when you have a good one? Oh, this is hard. 
Yeah, I mean, being in the writer's room, we're basically all day long trying to either have a good idea or recognize <laughs> other people's good ideas. Or shooting down bad ideas. That's a lot of it. <laughs> or having our bad ideas shot down. That happens <laughs> much of the time, yes. Um, we feel like when there's a good idea in the room, the second it comes out of someone's mouth, unless it's a very political environment where people are liking or not liking mm. ideas based on certain dynamics— Everyone knows when they hear a good idea in the room. Yeah. I feel like that way with edits, too. Like, if I'm writing a book and Mm -hmm. I get edits from an editor, like, there's nothing that is kind of more daunting but also more exciting than getting an edit when you're like, this is a great idea. This is a great way to improve it. Even if it means a lot of work, it's like you feel that into your core. Like, this is a good idea. This should be done. It's like a physical sensation. It's like a chill. It's something. We were breaking a pilot once, figuring out the story of a pilot. And Sarah said, oh, something should happen. This doesn't sound great. (laughs) She goes like, the girl's father should set her on fire in the courtroom. Doesn't sound good, but I was like instantly chills. And I'm like, yes, that must happen. And it turned out to be kind of the center of the whole script. Yeah, and it was something that we came up with deep in the process. Like we'd already written... Yeah. Like we'd done the pilot pitch. We'd done a lot of work. And then when that happened, everything just sort of gelled. It fell in around. Oh, that's so exciting. Like I am getting a chill just thinking about how satisfying it is when something like that happens. It's the sense of undeniability. Right. Just like, yes. But what do they say? It's like in the story, it's that it seems completely unpredictable, but also consistent with everything that's come before. So you're like, I didn't see that coming, but it makes perfect sense now that it's happened. Yes, I had a game that moment in a Game of Thrones episode um, <laughs> with the dragon recently. Yes, where yes. I'm like, how could I? Of yeah. course, that this, was coming. Absolutely, but it totally blindsided me and shocked me. I know exactly what you're talking about. I had exactly the same reaction. Of course, this was coming episodes before, but you couldn't imagine it until it happened that from the beginning, from idea. that very teaser. Uh-huh. You know, like yeah. from like literally the teaser of Game of Thrones yes. to that moment. It was just like a brilliant direct line. Well, and it solves so many problems. Yes. 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 Which is another thing about a good idea is like a good idea sort of moves everything forward in a very neat way. Mm. Um, it's not just some loose thing that's parachuting in from the outside. I mean, we have spent, I say, like hours, days, weeks, months at times trying to convince ourselves that a not great idea is a great idea. Yes, it's very tempting to do you that. Know. It's almost impossible not to. So how do you stop yourself? How do you recognize a bad idea? Well, honestly, usually it's Liz. Liz has this like questioning thing, just mm. like question, 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 question. It drives Sarah Yeah, insane. sometimes I'm just like, are you, you have to stop. <laughs> you mean like, then what, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? How yeah, about- or just like, it's almost like a nagging feeling. Yeah. And 17 years in, Now I'm like, oh, shit, Liz is having a nagging feeling. Mm. There's something there. I really don't want to acknowledge it, but it's like something. And then you just have to, like, dig in. But it is a gut thing, too, in a way. It's not logical, is it? The knowledge of if it's a yeah, good idea. Yeah, that it's a bad idea, the nagging feeling that yeah. you have. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's a gut thing. It's just something rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. You're right. It usually does lead to some sort of change. Yeah. 
some sort of larger revelation. But I envy you guys that you can bounce ideas off of each other. Like in probably when you're you incite ideas into each other because you're like you can sit down and build on it or talk through it over and over or like return to it. Because I'm on my own. So that's a different kind of challenge. But you've had moments. So being your sister, of course, I've heard (laughs) about them along the way of like you had the thunderbolt moment first with your first book when you were still a lawyer for power, money, fame, sex. Yes. What was that? So I was out. I was like going for a walk. I was clerking for Justice O'Connor and I was looking up at the Capitol Dome and I thought, what am I interested in that everybody else in the world is interested in? And I thought, well, power, money, fame, sex. And it hit, it was like power, money, <laughs> fame, sex. And it all felt like this one idea that I was then compelled to research. And then that's that is what ended up being my first book. Yeah. And you wrote a book that was, it's sort of like analyzing the elements of all these things and giving people tools. It was very subversive, like how it was basically (laughs) how to not be influenced by people, you know, be manipulated. So it was, I love that book. Yeah. But there is a clarity when you're just struck by something that it almost feels like a compulsion. That's how it feels to me. It feels like a compulsion. Like I can't help myself from following an idea. It doesn't always mean that it's necessarily a good idea in terms of everybody else, but it means it's big enough for me to really pursue it. Now, I will have an issue sometimes, though, and I don't know if you guys ever have this, where I'll have something that is a really good idea, but I'll doubt it because I'll think, well, this idea is such a good idea. I, yeah. I must have copied it. I must have stolen it from someone. It's kind of that fraud syndrome where I'm like, I yeah. couldn't have had such a good idea. Well, I kind of have that feeling with the four tendencies because I'm like, how is it that nobody else has noticed this before? Because once you identify the four tendencies framework, it's very blatant and obvious. Uh-huh. And yet I'm like, really? I can't be the first one to pick this up, but I haven't found anybody else yet. Rich, while we're on this subject, you want to briefly explain the four tendencies? Okay, so briefly, the four tendencies has to do with how a person responds to an expectation. Uh, And that's outer expectations like a work deadline and inner expectations like keeping a New Year's resolution. And it turns out that depending on how you respond to expectations, outer and inner, you fall into one of four categories, upholder, questioner, obliger, rebel. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They keep the work deadline. They meet the nearest resolution without much fuss. Then questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they hate anything arbitrary or inefficient or irrational. They make everything into an inner expectation because if it meets their standard, no problem. They'll do it. If it fails their standard, they'll resist. Next, obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So they meet the work deadline, but they struggle with the New Year's resolution. So Sarah and I are both obligers. Big time. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Fascinating that you're an obliger team. And then rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. And if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And this just ends up coming up all the time in life because you could be completely different from other questioners or obligers depending on how ambitious you were or considerate of other people you are or, or intellectual or adventurous or introverted or extroverted. All those things could be different. But when you know how somebody responds to expectations, it gives you a big, big clue about either how to manage yourself or how to, like, get them to do what you want them to do. It's like a main thing that you spend your time doing as a grown-up. Yeah. Now, was the Four Tendencies framework, was that a thunderbolt? So it was kind of two thunderbolts. The first thunderbolt was the question, was realizing there was a question. And this was this moment where I was having lunch with a friend. 
And she said to me, because I am a happiness bully, as Elizabeth will often (laughs) say to me. And so I was kind of, I was grilling her about her habits and her happiness. And she said, well, the weird thing is I know I would be happier if I exercised. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? And I'd heard people say that kind of thing for years. But for some reason, this time it was like, dun, 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 dun. You know, (laughs) I have to solve this mystery. And then, so I was thinking and thinking and thinking about it. And then there was a day where I was at my desk and I was looking at my to-do list for some reason. I was just glancing down at it. I saw, you know, half the things were crossed off, half the things yet to do. And it just, the word expectation just kind of started ringing in my mind. It was like, that's it. It's this idea of expectations. Just looking at my list, I realized there's outer expectations and inner expectations. And once I had that key, once that word kind of jumped out at me, then everything started to, like, just like you were describing, Sarah, it was like all of a sudden, all these things that were kind of spinning off on their own coalesced into one's picture. And it was thrilling. It was a thrilling, thrilling intellectual moment. And I'm sure this happens not just with, you know, writing and painting and things like that, but you could be in any business. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure if you're a – well, this is still writing like a copywriter. You're like, that's the tagline we need. Right. Yes, yes. You know. Or even like, oh, my gosh, if I went to Ohio this weekend instead of this weekend, I could also go to my friend's wedding. Or, you right. know what I mean? Like you get <laughs> so music, true. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, all my problems, all of a sudden, all these problems kind of get solved. And it's so exciting when that happens. But it's like it's the half good ones that are the problem. And you're like, "Ah, should I pursue this? That's the mental drain. That's the energy drain when you're trying to decide, is it a good idea or not? Yeah. Well, and it's really if it's a great like, you know, when something's a great idea, but it's like a good idea that's Uh. in the much more of the gray area, (laughs) especially with um, like in a writer's room, as we were saying, like a lot of ideas are okay. Yes. But, you know, what makes it great? And now we're really trying when we are working on our stuff, if we don't love it, we just reject it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The Marsha Clark pilot that we're working on, when the three of us are sitting there breaking the pilot, unless we respond to a scene like, oh, my God, I love that. We don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally every single scene in the entire pilot. We have one scene that I am like, I don't think is great. That's like a plot scene. Yeah. Yeah. Because plot. You know, know. we have one in (laughs) one scene out of like 45. Yeah. That we don't love. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> Hopefully the world will agree with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I cannot exactly. wait. I can't wait. That's yeah. like the best sell for anything that I've ever heard. Well, there's also, you know, how do you get an idea? If you feel yeah. uninspired, if you're struggling, how do you... How do you inspire yourself? Well, for me, I know it's always through reading because mm. that's how I get a lot of it. And I take gigantic amounts of notes when I'm reading. And often I will make a note and I don't even know why something seems important. I'll just make a note of it and then it either comes up again or not. Or talking to people. I get a lot of my ideas just from like from my friend, you know, on the track team. It was just like people say things and I'm like, huh, that's <laughs> interesting. Or, you know, I'm trying to make sense of it all the time. So that's how I get it is from reading or from talking to people, I would say. Yeah, it's like I know that I get ideas from reading, watching TV, listening to podcasts, yeah. all consuming sort of all this stuff, and yet I'm loath to do it. Your brain is on. You're not passively consuming it. Part of your brain is like, that's an interesting twist, or oh, that's a funny way to handle that problem, mm-hmm. or interesting transition, or you know what I mean? You're not just letting it wash over you. Some part of your brain is analyzing it, and so there's effort. 
Yeah, maybe you know, that's I it. think that's partly why I sometimes reread children's literature because there's nothing to process. Anything that would be processed, I did a thousand years ago. Right. Read the book. it's so familiar. Absorbed. I can enjoy it because I think you're right. Like if you're watching something, part of your brain is thinking. Yes, that and, is very and, and true. Thinking creatively, and that's. That's a drain. Well, and then there's also just getting into nature, which goes to the opposite of drain. Right. Then you're sort of rejuvenating, revitalizing, and opening up. It's contemplative. Yeah. Taking walks is huge. It is. Like, I know if we go on a hike, we're bound to have a couple of really good ideas. Which goes to we need to hike more. Yes, we do. (laughs) But but there's actually a lot of research showing that walking does stimulate the mind. Apparently, you have different thoughts when you're sitting, standing, and lying down. And there is research showing that it physically helps to promote problem-solving and creative ideas. So, Gretchen, you always talk about living in an atmosphere of growth. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of the upshot, I guess, for, for getting good ideas. You need to live in an atmosphere of growth. Yes. And then wait for the chills. Yes. (laughs) Wait for the chills. All right. To our listeners, what's the best idea you've ever had? We want to know. Leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY21 or shoot us an email at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Next up, we debate gyms. But first, a word from our sponsor. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, now it's time for a segment we call LVS, Liz versus Sarah, in which we discuss slash debate something we may not see eye to eye on. But today we've got LVSVG, (laughs) since Gretchen's here with us. Yes. And we are talking about gyms, the schlubby ones versus the fancy ones. Which do we like and why? I'm just going to go right in there and say I love a schlubby gym. Mm-hmm. I know. Well, I don't want to feel like I'm on display. I don't want to have to wear like nice um, mm-hmm. gym clothes. I just want to wear like Nike sweats and a t-shirt. I, I just I don't want to feel any pressure at the gym. Well, I have to say I've worn plenty of not nice clothes <laughs> to fancy gyms <laughs> when I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I like a fancy gym. Yeah. I love anything of like, I like feeling pampered or mm, feeling mm-hmm. luxurious. So I like a gym that's got a massage room and a, you know, steam room and a pool and a sauna. And nice products. Nice products are huge. Yeah. Now, having said that, I have to admit, I joined Equinox <laughs> in Encino when it opened, which is, I think, pretty much one of the nicest gyms in L.A. or, yeah. you know, in the country. 
And I went one, I did the classic, I went one time in a year. Well, this and is, it was so nice, but I only went once. That is, the entire gym industry is predicated on people behaving exactly the way you did. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I did it. And I, when I was there, I'm like, this is amazing. I love it. I love being here. This is wonderful. And then I never went again. So, so I guess, I, yeah, so what do you, I don't even know what to say about that. I don't think I would have gone if it was schlubby either, though. Oh, right. See, they had, didn't have good parking, and that was a problem. Okay, yeah. so this brings me to what I'm going to say is, I think, more important than schlubbiness or fanciness, mm. which is convenience. Mm. That for a lot of people, I mean, some people really want a particular vibe, but for a lot of people, it's just, is it convenient? Like, if you can't park, then it just feels like so much of a burden that unless you're like actively looking forward to it, as few people do, it just feels like too much work. Mm. And another thing about convenience is sometimes people pick it to be convenient to the wrong thing. Like, if, uh. if, like, do you want it convenient to work or to home? That actually makes a big difference depending on how your schedule unfolds. Like I was just speak, so, talking to somebody at a book event recently and she, she said, I made it convenient to my home. But now I realize it actually needs to be convenient to my office. And so I have to go through the whole hassle of de-signing up for one gym and signing up for another one. And now that feels inconvenient. So part of it is just figuring out, you know, or if it's going to be a little bit more to join a gym that's two blocks closer, like for a lot of people, that's worth it because every little bit of convenience makes it easier to go. Now, listen, I think for your thing, it's actually accountability. And this gets into the obliger thing, which we were going to talk about later. But that's just like a little teaser that it's about your issue might be about accountability. Didn't right. you hear that Kanye West went to your gym? Maybe Ooh. you need to pair up with Kanye. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Kanye West goes to my gym. Um, he's been seen working out to his own music. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. With, like, bodyguards, you know, closing off a section. I'm sure with the, you know, cooperation of the gym. So he can be your accountability partner. Yeah, okay. Next time I see Kanye, I'll just be like, dude, <laughs> you and me. <laughs> Well, another thing I think that affects how people like gyms is some people like simplicity and some people like abundance. Some people like few choices and some people like a lot of choices. Mm. So, Elizabeth, you and I do informed fitness. Which so is, does Sarah. You, oh, that's right. Oh, of course God, you I love do. Informed fitness. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, so, and again, no mirrors. say what informed fitness oh, is. So, informed fitness is this form of high-intensity weight training that we do once a week for 20 minutes, each one of us. And one of the things about informed fitness is there's no mirrors, so you don't have to... And there's love no, that. And it's, it's only, you work out with a trainer. And so there's very few people around. So if you're a person who doesn't like to have a lot of people around, it's like, so there's no music, no mirrors, no crowds, no waiting. It's cool. They keep it very chilly. It's 20 minutes. So by the time you decide that you really don't want to be there, it's over. Um, I usually decide that very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like walking (laughs) up the stairs. Yeah. It's very, very hard. But... The thing is, I think for some people, that wouldn't appeal to them. They want something that's, like, social and there's loud music and there's a lot of people going around. Right. And, like, there's opportunities to, like, to have a chat and maybe you meet up with a friend and, like, oh, there's this class or this class or today I feel like you're listening to a new episode of Happier in Hollywood, so I'll listen to it on the treadmill. Like, some people like that kind of vibe. And so, again, it's, like, maybe they want a bigger gym. And for them, it would be more important because it's just got more choices and more buzz and more, like a like, a deeper vibe. That's true. But I say whatever it takes to make you want to go. If you you feel more comfortable, if it's schlubby, then look for that. If you feel like, you know, this is a place where I want it to be really nice, 
then if you can afford it, you should do whatever it is, because I think everybody agrees, and the research is certainly there, that exercise is a really high priority in life. And if you can find a place that's just going to make it that much more enticing, it's worth the energy and the money to get you to that place that appeals to you. Like if you need a gym with a valet, which we have in L.A., it's oh. worth the extra money if that'll get you to go. If that'll get you to go, because that's the difference between yeah. going and not going. And that's yeah. a huge See, difference in life. Equinox had had a valet, Ooh. I would have probably gone all the time. Yeah. There you go, Liz. It's not my fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not my fault. Let us know where you land in the gym debate. Fancy, schlubby, somewhere in between. If you found a gym that speaks to your soul, let us know why you love it. Email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY-21. Okay, Liz and Gretchen, let's dive into some listener emails. We think Gretchen is going to be able to help us quite a bit with these. <laughs> yes, all for tendency related. Yes. yes. So we have an email from Melissa. She's a 20-something who is moving to L.A. to become an actor she says she's obsessed with Gretchen Rubin's theory of the four tendencies. Yay. And she's a rebel. Mm. Key bit of information here. Okay. So she says, I want to ask your advice. Listening to your show, it sounded to me as if the best way to work your way through Hollywood is to become an assistant. Are people less likely to hire you as an assistant if you haven't gotten a four-year degree? As a rebel, I have repeatedly attempted college to no avail, all the while attending acting classes religiously in my spare time. Do you think acting workshops are sufficient enough to show a potential employer that I'm serious, or would you suggest attempting school once again? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let me just point out that as a rebel, you know, rebels can do anything they want to do. And this is a good example because Melissa really wants to be an actor. So she's having no trouble going to acting workshops, mm. but she doesn't really want to go to college. And so she's tried it and it isn't working because she. So this question is like, is this something that she wants to do because it's really necessary for her to do or does she not need to do it? Right. Yeah. What do you think? Well, we know plenty of people who did not go to college who are very successful in the business. Um, I think particularly if you want to be an actor, I don't think people are caring if you went to college. Right. And she's asking if we think she needs a degree to be an assistant right. also. And... I mean, I think our answer is that being an assistant might not be the best route for her if she wants to be an actor. Yeah. I mean, we give that advice to writers, especially to be mm. an assistant, especially an agent's assistant to start with, to learn about the business and make connections um, because then that's how you get hired. Right. You guys talked about that in an earlier episode. Yeah. That. But for actors, it's a little different. Now, I would say maybe she'd want to be an assistant to a casting director. Right. But I don't think a casting director is going to you know, require you to have gone to college if they see a lot of passion about acting. I mean, what's more important is that you know everybody, every actor out there. Yeah. Ah. And go to little plays that, you know, aren't known so that you see people and go to showcases and really get out there and saturate yourself in the world of actors. And so it's not just taking acting workshops because that, yes, that benefits you and your skills, but to make yourself desirable as an assistant, it's knowing other actors because what casting directors are looking for is that unknown person who they can bring in and like, surprise, everyone, here's this wonderful person I discovered. Right. Yeah, it's really just immersing yourself in the world, but also contributing to the world. I think 
Yeah. If you're an actor and you want to make it here, start writing your own stuff and performing in it. Start being in your friend's stuff. Like, you really have to devote your time and energy to acting yes. in whatever form that takes. Like, create your own stuff. Yes. So it sounds like you're almost saying she really doesn't need to think about college because there's these other things that she needs to do that will school her specifically in this world. Yes. Now, having said this, I think it's never a bad idea to read the kind of books that you would be reading in college to True. educate yourself. So when someone's talking about Jane Austen, you know what they're talking about. Right, or like yeah. Dante. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So if you get a list of like, you know, the big hundred books that everyone should read, I would work your way through there because I do think when actors have a background in literature, um, they just come off very well. Absolutely. That's so true. And then have a job that gives you what you need, which is the money to survive. There's a reason a lot of actors are waiters. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very flexible job. Also working as a casting assistant, I think, is a really flexible job because they know what your needs are. So you need a job where you can support yourself but have the flexibility to go on auditions. Yes. Um, and being an assistant to like an agent or development executive or a writer, it Zero just doesn't flexibility. offer that. Right. Yeah. Zero. Right, yeah. right. Well, the other thing I would say to, to Melissa as a rebel is, you know, rebels, they really value freedom. They value choice. They like to be able to carve their own path. And one of the things is that it, there are many careers in which having a college degree would be a very important asset. And so you might want to say to yourself, well, do I think that at a certain point I might have more options, I might have more freedom of choice if I had this? And so I want this for myself as a rebel, not because I have to have it, but because I choose to do it, because I think that it's going to allow me to make the choices and have the future that I want. So it's just something to think about for Melissa as a rebel. Good point. Yeah. All right, well, Melissa, good luck. Thanks for writing in, and uh, we'll look for you um, <laughs> on TV. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we have a question that actually came into Happier, the podcast Gretchen and I co-host, from another Melissa. She said, not sure if this is a better question for Happier in Hollywood. Well, yes. <laughs> but in any case, Liz, do you use Gretchen's personality framework when creating characters? For example, a questioner, lark, maximizer, moderator, married to an upholder, night owl, satisficer, abstainer. <laughs> uh, so this is a great question, and we've heard this a few times. Yes, and we definitely do. You do? Yes, we do. One of the pilots that we're doing right now, in fact, is about five sisters. And on the board in our office, when we were kind of putting up who they are, we did have, we have an upholder, we have a rebel, um, and we have, what am I blanking Questioner. On? Oh, and we have a questioner. So, yeah, we used yeah. all of them for our for our sisters. Yeah, and it's great because there's so many things we talk about, like she mentions, are you a lark or a night owl? Yeah. Are you a moderator or an abstainer? And all these different little personality quirks or, you know, qualities can help sort of layer a character so you can predict what they would do. Right, right. 
So I don't know. Have you thought about that with fiction? I guess you must look at characters when you're reading and yes. sort of assign them <laughs> different qualities. No, absolutely. And sometimes it's really, really easy to tell what somebody is. Like Hermione Granger is the most famous upholder, certainly. And what's interesting, too, is so Obliger Rebellion. We were talking about Obligers earlier. So Obligers, oh, yes. re- Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And one of the things that happens with Obligers is sometimes they fall into Obliger Rebellion, which is when they'll meet, meet, meet an expectation and then suddenly they snap and they're like, this I will not do. And sometimes it's small and symbolic, but sometimes it's huge and dramatic. And one of the things that's really interesting to me is how often now I will be watching television or movies or reading a book and I'll be like, that's an obliger having obliger rebellion because it Mm. is really interesting. So like George Bailey, like in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, when he's threatening that he's going to throw himself off the bridge and then the angel Clarence comes. I'm like, George is such an obliger. The whole movie basically is about how he's an obliger. Uh And then he goes into obliger rebellion. Um, or like the the movie uh, uh, Twenty Seven Dresses, oh, starring Katherine Heigl. Yes, so yes, as Jane, she has a massive obliger rebellion, like in front of a whole room full of people, and I'm like, there it is, it's obliger rebellion, it's yeah. happening. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I see questioners. I see rebels. Certainly, yes, in different characters. Obliger rebellion is like the perfect dramatic setup. Yeah, another example is in Before Midnight, the, the which is Ethan Hawke and Julie Delphi. The Julie Delphi character goes into a total obliger rebellion <laughs> kind of monologue. And again, it feels completely out of character for her, but also completely consistent with that character. You know, so it is that it, it feels right. Yes. But you didn't see it coming. Um, okay. Thanks, Melissa. Great question. Now, Gretchen, this is very exciting. Sarah has a question Ooh. for you. So, Sarah, what is your question for Gretchen? My question daughter? is, how do you parent a rebel child? Okay. Because you think Violet is a rebel. I suspect. I know you've said it's hard to tell with kids, and she is only five. Um, <laughs> Sometimes it's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what do I do? Right. <laughs> Well, this is something that comes up all the time. And many rebels have told me how they remember the moment in their early childhood where they realized that nobody could make them do anything they didn't want to do. So it's like it can be very pronounced very early. I'm terrified of that moment. Okay. But this is the thing. (laughs) Here's my advice about parenting a rebel. The fewest number of people belong to this tendency, but it's the longest chapter in the Four Tendencies book because it is. (laughs) It's like you have to really wrap your mind around the rebel. So what you have to remember about the rebel is the rebels can do anything they want to do. Right. They can do anything they choose to do. If, so if there's something that you want Violet to do, you have to help her understand how this is something that she wants and chooses to do for herself. So there's sort of two main avenues to approach this. One is through identity. Rebels always want to project their authentic self into the world. They want to live up to their idea of themselves. So if Violet has this idea of herself as being like, a responsible, loving member of the family, or she is a conscientious owner of pets, or she's polite, you know. And so instead of saying something like, now say thank you to Aunt Jane for having us over, because that's telling her what to do. And she's like, right. I'm not going to do that. You could be like, you know what I really admire about you, Violet, is, you know, I don't know that many five-year-olds would be as just consistently polite and considerate the way you are. Because it's like, that's who she wants to be. So she right. can be consistent with that because that's who she wants to be. She's not doing it because you told her to do it. She's mm-hmm. doing it because that's the person that she wants to be. The other thing is information consequences choice. You tell the child the information that they need. You let them know the consequences of their action or inaction. And then you let them choose. So let's say sunscreen. You'd say, well, you know, if you go outside on a bright sunny day, 
you're going to get a bad sunburn. A sunburn can really hurt. Your skin can blister and peel. And then you're stuck inside while your friends are playing outside because you've got to wait for your sunburn to go away. Do you feel like wearing a baseball cap and a long sleeve t-shirt or do you feel like wearing sunscreen lotion? But here's where it gets complicated. First of all, you have to let negative consequences fall. Right. You cannot insulate or protect them. You can't ride in at the last minute and save them. You know, if you're like, well, if you don't finish your library book today and we don't return it tomorrow, then you're going to get a note from the teacher. And it's like, okay, well, you didn't finish the book, so we can't return it. So you're going to get the note from the teacher. You have to let negative consequences fall. And that Uh can be painful as an adult. But over and over, rebels say, this is how you learn as a rebel, is from negative consequences. And the other thing is you can't remind and nudge. Because every time you remind and nudge no. a rebel to do something, you ignite oh God, the spirit. It's a mom's job. No, I know. Well, but it is hard. But every time you say, like, I mean, I literally have, I don't know, I should keep track of how many rebel, like, teenagers have emailed me specifically with this story of, Oh, I was making my bed in the morning and then I heard my mom or my dad yell up at the stores, honey, don't forget to make your bed. And I would, they will literally stop <laughs> midway or like throw the covers back to the bottom of the bed because it's like, I would do it because I want to do it, but I'm not going to do it because you told me to. So yeah. every reminder. So, you know, with something like practicing piano, you could be like, oh man, you are such a performer. You love to get on stage. And you know, if you really practice, then maybe you'll get picked to be in the show and that would be so fun. And it's like, yeah, I'm a performer. I'm creative. I want people to see how good I am at piano. I'm going to practice. Maybe if you could raise it in some non-order type way, like, oh, I don't know. Did you want to practice piano in the morning or in the afternoon? Like, how do we organize the day that works for you? You know what I mean? Like, how does this suit you? But if you're like, now it's time to practice piano, it's like, no, I don't want to do that. Also, uh, they can, like a challenge, Um, so like, can you beat your time? (laughs) Could you do it X number of days in a row? Um, can you surprise me with how, you know, can you like, wow, you know, well, here's this piece of music, but everybody says that, you know, you have to be in at least second grade before you can play this. It's like, well, I'll show you, I'll figure out how to do it. You've got to take into account that rubble perspective because it's, I think the rubble perspective is very different from the other three. It's very hard not to accidentally trigger that spirit of resistance with a request or an order that doesn't even feel to you like a request or an order. You know, um, well, we're going to leave at six, so you have to be ready by six. It's like, I don't have to be ready by six. You can't make me leave. You can't make me get ready. But it's sort of like, gosh, you know, if we leave by six, we'll beat the traffic and then we'll have a whole extra hour there. You know, like, oh, gosh, but I don't know if you can be ready by six. Can you get ready in just 10 minutes? I don't know. (laughs) And it's like, I'll show you. I'll do it. I want to have an extra hour at the playground or whatever. It's like information consequences choice. But ordering them around often really backfires. And it's hard to wrap your mind around. And you're an obliger. So it's a very different approach to the world. Um, So I think it does, you have to sort of think it through. Oh, my God. So I have to say, when I asked the question, I was really hoping that your answer would make me think, oh, she's not really a rebel. Mm. In fact, the opposite has happened. You're like, oh, (laughs) she, this is Violet to a T. Yes, like to a T, everything you're saying. Really? Yes. And I'm so glad this is recorded because I'm going to go back and listen to it probably a hundred times. So, Sarah, I want you to implement some of this and then report back. Yes, I'd be so fast. And tell us if it's working. But one thing that has been fascinating for me to hear about is how people once they know that somebody important in their life is a rebel, how they think through how to manage it more effectively. And the fact is, I've heard many dramatic cases where like, 
this child was going to drop out of high school or this child was refusing to apply for college or we were just having conflict after conflict after conflict. I think once you really do sit down and think it through, Mm -hmm. you do find ways because she's a good kid. Yeah, she's awesome. She's yes. amazing. So you yeah. just have to tap into that and, like, get out of her way, basically. Right. It's really mm-hmm. more about me yes. and, and how communication to adjust style. my behavior than it is about her. She is, you know. You're not going to adjust. She's her. a fabulous yeah. rebel. Um, <laughs> and just looking at um, the Four Tendencies book, you know, a lot of the blurbs are from rebels. Yes. These are, like, fantastically successful oh, people. Oh, yes. 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 No, the thing about rebels, they can do anything they want to do. So they can achieve amazing things. But if you're like they're saying like, did you already do this? How about this? It's like you're going to ignite in them the spirit of resistance. And so part of it is just doing nothing, yeah. which can be the hardest thing of all to do. <laughs> yeah, as a so parent, that's yeah, not yeah, easy. Yeah. yeah, to say like, I'm just going to let you suffer the consequences of that. Yeah. It can be real. In fact, I heard from one person who was a parent of a rebel, and she said, I was trying to allow negative consequences to fall on my teenager, but she's really like, um, she's very good at talking other adults into helping her. And so they keep writing to the rescue, and they have disdain for me as the mother. They don't understand that this is my philosophy, right. and I'm actually trying to implement this. Which would be frustrating, you yeah. know, because you do have to let those negative consequences fall. Okay. All right. I'm going to start now. Like, keep me back. posted. I want to hear. <laughs> Violet. Well, thank you so much for answering that question. Violet the Rebel. It sounds like a picture book. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Coming up, we will have a travel-related Hollywood hack. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, it's time for our weekly Hollywood hack, and today's hack is Amex Travel. Hmm. And this is something Sarah and I learned about, Gretchen, when we went on our writer's retreat in Ojai. Oh, yeah. Our friend um, and great, the great producer, Lori Zax, mm. said to, we were going to this place, the Ojai Valley Inn and Spa, and she said, did you book it through Amex Travel? And we said no, and she was like, oh, you must book through Amex Travel. <laughs> oh. It gives you so much. I actually have the Amex Platinum card. It's, you know, something like $400 a year. Yeah, that's the one downside. You have to pay the 400 a year okay. for a, a Platinum card. But if you travel a lot, you get so much for that. And I had not been taking advantage of it. You get free upgrades if Ooh. there's space at the hotel. So we did get one at the Ojai Valley Inn and Spa. You get breakfast. Uh-huh. For two. Yeah. And you get, um, I think, like a $100... Credit, resort yeah. credit. So, like, you could get a massage. You could ah. it, you could apply it to a meal. It was amazing. You also get noon check-in. Yeah. Oh, that's And key. guaranteed 4 p.m. checkout. Which is huge. That's huge. So, I mean, it really adds up. I mean, yeah. you know, we saved just on that trip. It was at least a $200 yeah. savings, or if not three, three Probably more, yeah. yeah. 
So you travel a lot. This I do. would be great for you. I should do that. I should do that. And I want to say that this is not a paid advertisement. This no, is just like right, from no. the heart. <laughs> Amex, yeah. yes, yeah. did not pay us to say this. We are just like, oh my God, where have you been all of our life? Right. Amex <laughs> travel. Yeah, yeah. This is why you need that smart friend who's like figured out all the angles who yes. can like point you in the right direction. Yes. Excellent. I love it. <laughs> yes. And then if you're planning a trip, you can go to their website, see what hotels, you know, take yeah. part in this and yeah. it can help you choose a hotel. Right. So, right. so that is our most. advice for the week. It's Love very it. Hollywood. Very Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast, give us a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us. And if you've ever had a good idea that didn't turn out so well (laughs) or had a bad idea that saved the day, tell us about it. Leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY21. Thank you to our producer, Jennifer Lai. Also, thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. And, of course, we want to give an extra big thank you to my sister, Gretchen Rubin, for joining us today and being our (laughs) co-host. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Oh Well, thank you for having me. I was very happy to be here. (laughs) And get in touch. I'm on Twitter at Sarah M. Fain, and Liz is at Elizabeth Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook and join in on the conversation. You can find us on Instagram, too. I'm at Liz Craft and Sarah is at S. Fain. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. It's It's a a fun job job and we enjoy it. Oh, Sarah, one last thing I should mention oh. is that if you see a rebel who's paired up, like in marriage or a sweetheart or at work and like a founding team, almost always the rebel is paired with an obliger. That's a really good mm. combination. Okay. So it's good. It's good that she's a rebel and you're an obliger. That's, All right. That's good a good team. combo. Good team. Team, team. <laughs> team pain. <laughs> <laughs>